Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. This is Paula Check, along with seven cats and two dogs. And you are listening to the great tennis podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, introduced beautifully there by Paula and her seven cats and two dogs, which by my maths makes it uh, nine animals and one Paula. Thank you, Paula. Uh, If you'd like to introduce an episode of the pod, then you can do so. Just become a friend at intro level, no matter how many animals you've got. But if you do have animals, do mention them. We, we like to know how many animals are uh, are involved in the intros. David's here. Hello, David. Hello. Yes, uh, we've only got the one animal between us at the moment, and she is perched on Catherine's left shoulder, just sort of peering and, and kind of overlooking the podcast at the moment. Sighing heavily is what she's doing, David. She sees <laughs> one big the yawn tennis as podcast well. microphone come out, and she just goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing that again, Ten- aren't we? Tennis again. Uh, Matt's here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Yes, Billy Jean is is only a little bit distracting. Those 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 eyes <laughs> just poking over your shoulder. Yeah, I feel like she knows that Indian Wells is around the corner. She always knows, Billy Jean. She knows. She has seen suitcases mm. over the past twenty four hours. She had a right old strop yesterday because she saw me get my suitcases out and start to fill them and she knows exactly what that means what it means is i'm packing or i have packed more than a day early i'm almost fully packed this time tomorrow matt we will be uh all all being well and uh fingers crossed for us there 16 minutes away from takeoff from london's mm. heathrow airport bound for lax david will already be in the air golf clubs and all is that right yeah, well, that's right. But I'll be en route to Frankfurt because Birmingham <laughs> doesn't do a direct flight to uh, to Los Angeles. Uh, so my flight goes at 6.25 a.m. Um, and therefore, trying to work out, without wishing to give all the results away, trying to work out which of the matches very late tonight that I can actually watch whilst none, also David. trying to sleep. I don't, I don't no, know. No, I think that's a none. I'm ordering you to not watch any tennis. But there's uh, a prediction to, to involved, Catherine. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but you'll get the points either way, whether you've watched it or not. We'll take care yeah. of the watching for you. What David. if I could influence it somehow? You know, but I, okay. Doesn't that might be a thing? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. The other day, you Maybe. thought you were negatively influencing it, and you turned it I off. Did and, and it worked. <laughs> I went to bed, and she won. <laughs> There's a lesson there, David. Let's all just try and get to Indian Wells in uh, in one piece, shall okay. we? Let's focus all on right, that. All right, then. Yeah. Yeah. Done. 
And this time tomorrow, that journey will be starting uh, on location. Have already arranged our perfect tennis watching experience uh, at Indian Wells, but they can do the same for you via Steve Fogel's international tennis tours to Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, the US Open, Labour Cup, Australian Open. Why not do them all? Um, all of the world's <laughs> biggest tournaments, they can arrange your perfect tennis watching experience at all of them. You can experience the best on and off the court with brilliant stadium seats, premium VIP hospitality, deluxe five-star hotels and world-class tennis to enjoy. So check out what Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours have got to offer if you fancy any of that. And uh, we certainly do. The the, the the weather <laughs> forecast is, is looking up. This time last week, I was extremely grumpy about it. But um, things are looking up, folks. I have I have packed only hot weather clothes. I am manifesting. Although the Matt and I are, are staying on for a little while, we're doing we're doing a little road trip, David. Yeah, and the uh, the weather forecast in Vegas is terrible. Is it? I mean, obviously, no one goes outside in Vegas, so it it's fine. When you uh, say terrible, what what does that it's mean? It's like eight How? degrees. Oh, <laughs> Andre Agassi uh, put something on Instagram. It was it was snowing in Vegas. Hmm. Yeah. That's not normal, is it? How do you how Not do what you... we've signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> not what we've signed up for. You, just last last one on the um on the Vegas situation. Uh I I learned something about Matt this week, David. Oh yeah. Matt has a really specific phobia. Okay. Oh right. I I love a, I love a sort of weird phobia. Go on. Well, it's not weird. It's just extremely specific. Okay. He has a phobia of helicopters. Cable cars, fine. Helicopters are a no. Mm. Of seeing them, going in them. Well, no, I can. I'm. I'm. I'm fine to look at them, but okay. <laughs> uh, being in one, I like a jet engine. That's that's mm. what I would say. It, I would because I would also extend this they, phobia to small aircrafts. So when I went for my first ever interview for my job at the ATP in Monte Carlo and they flew me via helicopter from Nice Airport into Monte Carlo, what? which I really wasn't what? expecting at the time. That's, you that's... got helicoptered in? Are you Kendall Roy? <laughs> <laughs> Bond you got helicoptered. You hadn't go even by. got the job at that point. You got helicoptered no. in for a job interview. I th- uh, maybe they were. Tr- maybe that was part of the enticement. I don't know. <laughs> no, in fact, that's just that was just a, a sort of more efficient version of a taxi. I'm told. Uh, but um, yeah, did that did that every time we went anywhere from Monte Carlo ATP's headquarters. We would we would get the helicopter to Nice, and I, I did love saying that to people. Um, and they usually told me to bog off. You know, you used to commute via helicopter, David. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. And it was a bit scary when it did that sort of swooping what? bit when it does the takeoff, and then it sort of swoops across the the, the water, and you're sort of nose down looking at it. Uh, Look I at him, though, think... Matt. He's here to tell the tale. Yeah. It Matt's was shaking his scary. head, like not having it. <laughs> yeah, no. I'd have been out before the start of that interview. <laughs> well, anyway, the helicopter tour of the uh, of the Grand Canyon is still is still up for discussion. David, let's let's leave it there uh, and talk about tennis. Now we are recording at ten a.m. on Sunday, and hopefully the two ATP events that happened this week had their finals on Saturday. So we'll be able to talk about them in their entire in, in their entirety. Bring you the the results, all of our many thoughts on them. The two WTA events that have been happening this week, as well as uh, the ATP 250 event in Santiago, they still have their finals to be played today. So we'll, of course, bring you up to date uh, with the results, the title winners from all of those when we bring you our first podcast 
from Indian Wells over the next few days. So worry not, we will be wrapping up those events, but um, we'll still touch upon them in this week's pod. But we'll focus mainly on the ones where we do have results in, starting with the ATP 500 event in Dubai, won by Daniel Medvedev. He beat Andre Rublev 6-2-6-2 in the final. That's his third title in three weeks. It's a 14-match winning streak. He beat Novak Djokovic in the semi-finals, four and four. He trolled Stefanos Tsitsipas in his winner's speech. I would describe it as an absolutely perfect week for Daniil Medvedev, uh, given all of the above that I've just listed. Would he have changed a thing about this week in Dubai? I mean, utter perfection right down to the speech making, I would mm. say. Textbook. I would have thought. Um, yeah, he, he's delighted. And, and I mean, he, he just looks and feels and sounds like Daniel Medvedev. And and it, it's taken these two or three weeks to remember, for me, who that was. Because you can kind of, you can forget. I remember, remember when I, uh, this is going to sound a terrible big up of myself here, but uh, do you remember two points You've in? You've already told the... us you used to commute via helicopter, David. So. <laughs> well, I mean, neatly overlooking my my many predictions failures since, but you remember three points into the Seb Corder match at the Australian Open when I said Corder's going to beat Medvedev here. Um, That didn't look like this Medvedev at all. Uh, This this guy looks rock solid, reliable, dangerous, impenetrable, and somebody who we got to know very well for about three years and who was a shadow of of that player over the last 18 months. And I couldn't quite remember why he used to be so good. Like I, when you just watch him as a tennis player, the rallies, he looked similar last year, but there's just, there was, a, there was something missing. And look, there, there could be any number of reasons for that, including what's going on in the world uh, over the last year. The, the fact that he he was part of the Russian and Belarusian players that weren't allowed to play Wimbledon. Any any one of those sort of things added, added to, to illness, injury, or general loss of form. But for whatever reason, he looks like himself again now. And that is a formidable player. I mean, the fact that he beat Djokovic in the semifinals... I don't think that means he's a better player than Novak Djokovic, the man who's got 22 Grand Slam titles. But it does mean that Djokovic has to find that gear in order to beat him if he's in this sort of form. And I feel like I've I've got a pretty good handle on what makes Novak Djokovic the A the A plus player and the sort of A minus player that he was in that match being beaten 6-4-6-4 and unless he can produce that Grand Slam champion form against this Medvedev he he won't win because Medvedev is seriously good I do just wonder with Medvedev and and this could very well be too too neat uh, an explanation but I think he needed to get the Australian Open out of the way I think he needed to to face down those demons from last year and just sort of live through that and in order to reset. I I really do think the Australian Open final last year knocked him off kilter in in pretty dramatic ways, actually. Not just the result, also the whole experience with the crowd, that speech he gave in the press conference afterwards. I know he rode back on it, you know, not that long afterwards and said, you know, I was just in the moment, but he still felt those feelings, those very profound feelings in the moment. And I really think it just, you know, it's a game of such fine margins. And as you say, David, his his game in particular is one of such fine margins because it can, it can look exactly the same, but just not have the potency because that sort of indefinable X factor is missing. And that's exactly how it was last year. And I do think... That Australian Open final just knocked him a few degrees off kilter and he needed to to revisit the scene of that and get it out of the way. You know, a little bit like Emma Raducanu at, at the US Open last year. She she just needed to to get that title defence out of the way. You know, Elise Cornet was a terrible draw and all the rest of it. Anyone can lose to Elise Cornet, but it just felt like something she had to get through in order to reset. Now, you know, she hasn't gone on a 14-match winning streak and all of that, but I do think she immediately looked mentally fresher. She went on that little run, didn't she, where she went to the event in the Far East. Anyway, 
This isn't an Emirati Khan news segment. It's just, I, I think another illustration of how mental the sport can be and the need for, you know, when you're on that treadmill, when you're in the hamster mill, on the hamster wheel, sorry, mixed metaphors there, it's quite difficult to, to find ways and means to reset, I think, because you're just on to the next one. It's just particularly Medvedev who... Had no off-season, did he? Just pretty much played right through. When is the opportunity for the reset? But I do think getting that Australian Open out of the way, perhaps whether he's conscious of it or not, whether it's a conscious thought or not, provided him with that. That's my theory. Mm, yeah, no, I, I I think there's probably a lot to that. And, and it's one of the interesting things about tennis, the way it does return to the same places at the same time of year every year and I think it can work the other way you know it can like I think Novak Djokovic always starting the season in Australia somewhere he feels so comfortable is always just such a good start to his year and if Nadal's having a bad time he can reset on the clay and and all of that and I just think for Medvedev yeah he, he needed to get Australia over and done with again this year but even then I feel like this week was different to the previous two weeks. I think I think the word that came to mind with all of Medvedev's wins in in Rotterdam and in and in Doha was a kind of resilience. That's that, that's what we spoke about that had been missing. This week it seemed like confidence. It just seemed like he was the absolute best version of himself, sort of straight away in in Dubai, and he stepped onto court as kind of one of the few players that actually felt like they could beat Novak Djokovic in the semi-finals and didn't doubt it. And then he just absolutely dominated Rublev in this final. Got got far more to say about the uh, trophy ceremony speech that he gave than the actual match because the match was was kind of not that interesting. Medvedev was just so much better than than Rublev in this match. Uh, it was just the perfect Medvedev performance, rock solid when he needed to be, but also potent, as you said, with his with his forehand in particular. That's that's the best I think I've I've seen him hit that shot in in such a long time. And yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with his endurance now as well. Three titles in three weeks. I know we have seen Kasper Ruud do that and Felix Auger-Aliassime do that, but this feels a little bit elevated from that with this one being a, a 500 and having to beat Djokovic along the way. And he wasn't fatigued by the end. In fact, he seemed to be getting stronger and stronger. And uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely I mean, brilliant to have Medvedev back. He looked shambolic from about four points in. But, I, but, but my other working theory with Medvedev is... The more shambolic mm. he looks, the the better he plays. We we should be worried. You know when Medvedev occasionally sort of comes out looking really smart? Yes. Or, you know, you see him at a sponsor appearance or something with his nice side parting and his hair <laughs> all combed and he looks like he's got a tan and he's had a shave. It's all wrong. It's all, It sends the universe <laughs> out of kilter. He needs to look a state in order to be successful. And he... he definitely achieved that this week honestly four games in against Novak Djokovic who's there just looking you know serene quite frankly horrible shirt but that's not his fault he looks you know just in absolutely prime condition his hair looks the same no matter what Novak Djokovic he could walk through a car wash and his hair would come out looking the same (laughs) whereas down the other end of the court you're wondering if these two are playing the same sport like if you stood them next to one another four games into that match and said these two have been doing the same thing for the last half an hour honestly you you, you wouldn't believe it Medvedev looked like a scrambled egg <laughs> <laughs> although although it's all relative because we'll come on to Acapulco and everyone there was much more of a state even than the Medvedev was I, I, I'm still a bit horrified by what I saw in on semi-final night in in Acapulco but but we'll trauma. get there <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get there shortly uh, but there are still some very important bits and bobs from Dubai to discuss first and foremost the troll the speech the troll the perfection of it Matt, you watched it live. I had given up on the trophy ceremony at the point where uh, the um, UAE national anthem was being sung by a woman whose whose microphone inexplicably had had, had 
not kicked in. Uh, so I was just watching a woman sort of mime, <laughs> mime along to the national anthem. And I thought, OK, I've got packing to do. This is not a good use of my time. But Matt stuck with it. Mm. And thank goodness he did. Bring, bring us the <laughs> the minute by minute reporting, Matt, as it happened. It, it was totally worth it. You've, you've, you've always got to just hold on to a bit of hope that Medvedev will give you a, a, a golden line. And, and he delivered because... Well, first of all, Rublev gave these incredibly lovely words about Medvedev. And it was actually really touching because I, I sort of get the feeling that Rublev and Medvedev have the kind of relationship where they they just sort of take the mick out of each other. And Rublev said, I don't think I've ever actually said this to you before, sort of face to face, but I have a lot of respect for you and what a champion you are and how hard you work. And, and Medvedev's reaction to that was to sort of fake cry. So, so I thought, oh, great. <laughs> We're definitely going to get the best Medvedev here because, you know, he, he was clearly in that mood. And then, and then Medvedev steps up to the mic and not only returns the favour with sort of gushing words about Rublev. He, he did say really lovely, just just before we get to the, the punchline here, he really did say lovely things about, he said, I, I, I'm not sure everybody knows this, but Andre is the kindest person on tour, the kindest man on tour. Um, that was such a lovely thing to say and does chime with, you know, mm. everyone's experience of Andre Rublev. And it, again, in typical Andre Rublev fashion, he shouted, it's a lie! <laughs> Because he's he's got no self-esteem at all. Anyway, carry on, Matt. So Medvedev sort of infused those lovely words about uh, Rublev with the most pitch-perfect troll of Tsitsipas because it required a level of previous knowledge to get that he was trolling Tsitsipas. That's what I loved about it. It wasn't... It wasn't you know completely explicit and obvious you had to know and for those of us who do know it was great because he said uh recently someone described uh andre as having very few weapons uh personally in my opinion when i read that i was like how can you say this he's one of the most skillful players and then he ended by saying i hope andre can beat the player who said this many many times and of course, he is referring to Stefanos Tsitsipas after Rublev beat him at the end of last season. He said that uh, Rublev won with the few tools that he has. Uh, so it's it's a direct reference to those comments, and I just I just cannot tell you how much I enjoyed it. That is that is what we need more of. I yeah. I actually didn't mind Sitsipas saying that at the time. Like, I know it it came off kind of bad because it was just after a loss. But honestly, I do more agree with Sitsipas than I do with Medvedev in terms of, you know, I do think Rublev is a little bit one-dimensional. And yet, you know, I don't think Rublev had a problem with Sitsipas saying that. I think they'd sort of cleaned it up. But... No, he, well, he, he was asked uh, in his press conference about Medvedev's speech and Rublev said that he completely understood Sitsipas saying that. He basically said, look, no one understands stupid heat-of-the-moment decisions as much as I do. He said, look at how I behave on the tennis court sometimes. You know, I, I would never... My, my rational self would never behave that way, but tennis and battle do do weird things to you. And I, I he said, I totally understand that that's what was going on for Sitsipas and he came and apologised to me. Honestly, he couldn't have been more lovely about it. It's like Medvedev's like, you're too nice to be a douchebag about this. So uh, don't worry, Andre, I've got your back. I'll do it for you. Yeah, so great. Yeah, I, I, I want... I want him to. I want that energy to be brought again to more Medvedev Sitsipas matches. You know, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but they have they have rode back a little bit from from some of their previous aggro, and and some of their matches haven't actually been been filled with that much aggro. But it's it is so there. It is it is simmering, and uh, I just think you know we talked about the Netflix show and the sort of general sort of slight politeness problem that there is. I have no issue at all with with players calling each other out like this and I, I i think it's great and really funny and uh yeah as as david said proof that that medvedev is is sort of truly back i think 
Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I don't want them going and offering each other out into the car park for a punch up or something like that. But this is the sweet spot. This mm. is the. It's it's harmless. It's it's funny. It is genuinely funny what what Medvedev did and. I think Sid Sebastian, I mean, he did row back from those comments, didn't he, afterwards when he realised how it had come over and, and so forth. But it was also funny that he said it in the first place. <laughs> mm. And and it also insightful because it's what he meant. It is what he believes. He believes he is a more complete and capable, talented player than Andrei Rublev. And I think he, I think he is. But the beauty is that Rublev has a chance every time he comes out to stuff that up in because he can actually hurt opponents with what he's got as well so yeah more more of that please <laughs> we need the tennis gods to give us Medvedev Sitsipas at Indian Wells don't we well big question mark of course over Sitsipas's fitness yeah. right now um, and and just to pick off uh, up on something that we touched upon last week when Medvedev had won Doha the, the comments he made about the balls I think he's he's doubled down on that hasn't he he said he said even more he's he hinted at he said look I was suffering with my wrist during the Australian Open particularly ahead of that Sebastian quarter match that he ended up losing he said I didn't want to say anything at the time because I'd lost and that's you know not sportsmanlike but he said he sort of gathered more data since then and he's heard a lot more anecdotal reports of other players even doubles players who of course you know hit the ball less than than singles players um, complaining about wrist and elbow issues as a result of these Dunlop balls that they're playing with uh, on the ATP tour and on the men's and women's side at the Australian Open. He said it's like, it feels like you're playing paddle. Um, that's it, 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 physically making contact with the ball feels heavier and harder. Um, and logically, I can understand how that, that puts extra pressure or extra strain on on the wrist and an elbow and anecdotally there do seem to be quite a lot of players struggling with with those sorts of injuries at the moment I mean it's like you do seem to get sort of of the moment injuries don't you? like a year year and a half ago ab injuries were were very in fashion and now it's uh it's wrist and elbow injuries and he's trying to He's trying to shed some light on it and and encourage the tools to to make decisions that on ball partnerships that consider the players and consider the type of tennis that's being played. You know, Andy Murray was encouraging that at the Australian Open, isn't he? He said it's impossible to hit a winner with these balls. Do you want matches going on for six hours? Because this commercial decision, the one of the logical conclusions of that, or the unintended consequences, is you know thrashing around at the baseline type of tennis um so it's interesting i think i think that one is not over i think it it you know depending on what direction journalists go in it could become a bit of a hot topic in tennis i don't, i think it's sort of simmering there in the background and will will surface at some stage mm. yeah and and i think it's one of those topics which it only really sort of affects the players in terms of they're the ones who who know like it does require the players to speak out on it I think in order for it to become a topic because it's not something that we would necessarily pick up on because we're not hitting the tennis balls uh, but but you're right it does have an impact sort of generally on on the way the sport is played and 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 the sort of quality of, of play as well and I think if you asked an out a sort of outsider they would be stunned at the sort of amount of discussion that the tennis ball generates because you would think well don't they just play with the same ball all the time but it is it is a lot more complex than that and I think players are kind of getting a little bit fed up with it and I think we are maybe we are maybe getting to a bit of a a sort of turning point on on this issue I think they they do like like a whinge though you know oh yeah think think back to the end of last year in successive weeks I seem to remember Medvedev complaining about how there were no rallies at one tournament because everything was too fast and all it was was aces and then the next week nobody can hit a winner it's like yeah okay but what is it you actually want i do think he feels like when you're winning is the time to to say these things and make these cases because you can't be accused of being a a salty loser i do think he's sort of venting he's thinking this is my moment to Mm. to vent on this stuff which i i 
I do get. But yeah, of course they love a whinge. <laughs> I, I am. I mean, I understand that there are competing commercial interests, and there are a lot of tournaments with a, with different manufacturers. There's Babalat. There's Wilson. There's Dunlop. There's Pen in the past. I don't know whether they still make make tennis balls, but you know, there's loads of them. Slazenger at, at Wimbledon. And I, I have no issue with there being different brands. These are commercial elements to this conversation. But surely they could, they should be getting together or being told that there is a, a particular standard of ball that is required for tennis that isn't going to change massively depending on who's producing it. I cannot believe it's not more standardised. It's, it's like when I discovered that there's no standard width for football pitches. Extraordinary. How how can that not be the case? Anyway, we move on. Uh, well, we move on in a moment, actually. But first, I bring you news that Maxime Cressy is a titleist in the doubles alongside Fabrice Martin. David. Yep. He's good at doubles, Maxime. He's a mm, That makes sense to me that... Maxime Cressy would be good at doubles. Yeah, no, he should be. Um, mm. I didn't see any of it. <laughs> well then, Maxime, keep but going. Better things to do. Better things to do for David. <laughs> we move on to uh, Acapulco and the biggest title of Alex de Menor's career. He beat Tommy Paul 3-6-6-4-6-1 in the final. The story of this tournament really lies in the semi-finals. Both of them Utterly grueling. Tommy Paul beating Taylor Fritz, Alex de Menor beating a Holger Rune that could barely walk by the end of that match. Both Fritz and Rune cramping horrendously uh, throughout the latter stages of both those semi finals. I mean, Acapulco is <laughs> it's a slightly odd tournament for us to cover remotely because. I don't even know what the time difference is with Acapulco. It's certainly not as big a time difference as with some tournaments. And yet it seems to be consistently on the next morning when I wake up because they play, they start, there's the time difference. And then on top of that, there's the fact that they start their schedule late in the day because it's too hot to play when the sun's out, pretty much. I think they, they don't start the schedule until 4 p.m. in the afternoon because. It's too hot for tennis otherwise. And it looked, even in the middle of the night on Saturday night, too hot for tennis uh, and potentially too hot for Matt to be watching tennis. He still looks, you've still got a slightly traumatised look in your eye, Matt. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, checked the score and it was right at the start of the third set between uh, Paul and Fritz and I thought, Okay, I, I could roll over and go back to sleep, or actually, that sounds quite good. I'm going to stick that on. And I was sort of traumatized for the next hour as I, well, actually, hour and a half. It was an hour and a half third set as I, as I watched uh, Paul and Fritz. First of all, it was Paul who was really having the trouble. Um, I think it was the humidity, I think, more than anything that was, that was getting to them. You know, their clothes were just sticking to them. They could, they could barely walk. Paul, Paul felt that maybe Fritz thought that he was sort of faking it a little bit. Like, I think there was a little bit of tension between the two players. But then Fritz started sort of cramping as well and then suddenly sort of realised what Paul was going through. And then Fritz was sick at the side of the court. Um, and his his girlfriend, Morgan Riddle, put on Instagram afterwards that after he got sick on court last night, they were up until 4am with the tournament doctors Morgan said he couldn't keep any food down. He had chills, severe dehydration, full body cramps. We almost had to go to the hospital. It was so scary. He, he's too stubborn to default and pushed himself too hard. And these high humidity tournaments are no joke. Like it, was, it was really serious. Both players were in, were in a really bad way. It was sort of compelling and I admired their fight. And they were still coming up with some incredible shots as well and... Um, but yeah, it was it was just a match where the conditions overtook the tennis in a way. And um, Andrea Petkovic was was apparently commentating on on Tennis Channel and apparently doing doing an amazing job. I would I would love to hear that. I'm 
I'm sure she's a great analyst. And, and she said it's turning into a Greek tragedy. And as we know, in a Greek tragedy, everyone dies at the end, which really did sort of capture the feel because it felt like these two players would not be able to sort of keep standing. And it was it was just a slight second wind. I think I think because he'd, he'd felt the physical problems earliest, Paul, he had the sort of time to come through them a little bit and he was slightly stronger right at the end of the match. But um, but then the sort of same thing happened to Holger Runo in, in, in the second semi-final. I think the heat had slightly dropped because it was you know, literally the middle of the night at this point. But he was he was still in a really bad way as well. And Alex Dumanor was kind of the only one out of the four of them who was left standing at the end. It was it was gruelling. Yeah, I watched the third set yesterday morning of Alex Dumanor against uh, Holger Runa and you know the it was the f- full body nature of the cramps that was really really alarming you know there was he he was struggling to grip the racket runner um and you know I, there's no questioning that guy's fitness i don't think you know he was unable to take a medical time out he was able to have a couple of treatments at change of end but unable to have a a, a full medical time out um to treat the cramps because cramp is um, considered a, a loss of condition, and I totally understand why cramp is treated as a, a as such in the rules because they are so fearful of the rules being abused, and we know that the injury timeout rules do get abused, and without question, if it were changed in regards to cramp, it would be abused. And yet, in in these particular instances, it did not feel right that they were they were unable to take a medical medical timeout for for treatment. Um, both matches, the the outcome of both matches and the way they played out really played into to what we were talking about last week, I think, David, with players being, it being too much of a badge of honour these days for players to, to not retire. I mean, I, I felt, I just, I totally understand why the commentators were talking about the guts and the heart of of Holgeruna refusing to to throw in the towel and and trudge on and play out that match even though the result was completely inevitable but why why I, I think I think perhaps we need to reframe the the narrative around these things and not quite praise the players in in quite the same tone that we have been doing for for carrying on I, I don't know just just hearing what Morgan Middle had to say about the damage that Taylor Fritz has potentially done to himself by by refusing to back down I don't, I don't know if it is if it is quite so admirable I mean it is admirable but I don't know what do you think David? Yeah, I, I am torn Catherine because when you were describing when you're reading out what she posted I'm thinking I love that I love how he has dug in and refused to give in and he's taking all this stuff. And and yet I also do get what you're saying about let's not be silly. Let's not let's not put our health at risk properly because of of because full body cramps are dangerous. They are truly dangerous. You, you need to be saved from yourself if you're having one. Um, and they scare they scare the life out of me. I've seen a few players have them, and I and it, it does shake me. And I want somebody to to get to to intervene. And yet I am I am in awe of them. Of of I love I love Taylor Fritz's slightly old fashioned way of going about the, the the business of playing tennis. I think Tommy Paul's got that too. I think that's probably why that was such a gladiatorial match. They are really respectful of what's gone before, and they want to be that. They want to be Jim Courier and and putting themselves or Randy Roddick and putting themselves through these these ordeals to show what, what fighters they are but um but I I mean I I may, maybe it needs to be more of a an umpire in a sort of boxing referee's role who steps in at some point and says enough enough this isn't this isn't sensible anymore I'm stopping the fight. I don't, I don't know whether that's doable, um, but maybe that's what needs to happen in in a situation like that because I do have respect for them. And and in terms of how to phrase and frame it as a commentator, I'll definitely bear in mind what you've said there, Catherine. I mean, I will. I I 
I'd like to think that when I commentate, I probably am sensitive enough to say this is probably not worth it. Um, and it's okay to stop <laughs> Holger. But at the same time, I can't help but admire them as well. It, it is a, a tricky one. I would say if you're going to be somebody that plays on through through body cramps, definitely work on your, your underarm serve, Holger. <laughs> Quite a lot of missed underarm serves. I mean, I loved all of them. Uh, but... Um, Yes. Um, just on Tommy Paul quickly, before we talk about the Alex de Menor of it all, um, had the the news unofficially this week, although I, I think it's soon to be made official, that Netflix are recommissioning for season two uh, of Breakpoint and they have been filming throughout the season so far. And I know one of the players they've been filming with is Tommy Paul and they were they were with him in Acapulco this week. They were following him at the Australian Open where he reached the semifinals you know what's what's cause and effect there i don't know but i mean good call from netflix to follow him i think he'll be interesting and perhaps there's a bit of observer effect there from from tommy Tommy paul he's been in the shade a little bit hasn't he of of taylor fritz and and the other the other hashtag next jenners um but here he is having having a bit of a moment I think, and it being documented, mm. and I think he needs it too. You know, just just quickly on the on the, he is somebody I don't think people know. I don't know him at all, and and I want to get to know him. I don't know whether there's how much there is to find out, but I suspect there is more to him than meets the eye, and, and I, so I think he's a good he's a good selection for for a number of reasons. I was just going to make a. A sort of facetious comment that he needs to take advantage now because the Netflix effect will, will kick in, in in 12 months and he'll be, <laughs> he'll be gone from the Australian Open in, in round two. <laughs> uh, biggest title of Alex de Menor's career. It was funny, wasn't it? All of, the, all of these really fit players dropping like flies due to the conditions around him and Alex de Menor's just standing there going, well, I'm okay, actually. I'll just, I'll just do my thing <laughs> over here and quietly quietly win this title yeah it's 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 really impressive there has been a general elevation i think for dimonor in over the last few months like he's had some he's had some big wins against against top players you know going back to the end of last season he's beaten chapovalov medvedev nadal rublev and and, and runa now in in the last few months and this was a guy who used to always lose to top players and he's he's starting to turn that around and um we've we're seeing that now with him winning the biggest biggest title of his career and the, the final played out very similarly to the semi-final against Holgaruna in that you know he was kind of getting outplayed a little bit by a by a player who's got a bit more sort of in their locker you know Tommy Paul is an incredibly good shot maker and can can make even some of the best defenders in the world sort of scramble at times. And he was brilliant in that first set. But Dumanor dug in, stuck stuck in the match and sort of, I think, knew that his time would come if he could make it long and, and extend it. And he did have more more in the tank. And he'd only lost eight games in his first three matches, Dumanor. And I think that set him up to be really strong at at sort of finals weekend. And there was a ruthlessness to him towards the end of this match where he just kept drop shotting Tommy Paul because he, he he knew that Paul was was struggling and I felt like maybe that was a a slight sort of progression for Dumanor. I don't I don't think of him as being that ruthless necessarily, but he was and he he got his tactics spot on in in the sort of final portion of that match and thoroughly thoroughly deserved to win because as we said not only was it a test of um uh, tennis. It was a it was a test of how you coped in in those conditions, and and he really did. And I also think he's very he's very at home, isn't he? We've we've talked about this before in in the Hispanic world. You know, he's got a he's got a Uruguayan father, a Spanish mother. He lives in Spain, and I just think the sort of whole atmosphere, just an environment, suited him, and he he can connect with the fans when he speaks in Spanish. And yeah, it's it's a really big. Uh, big moment in in his career he's sort of knocking on his on his career high ranking now and yeah it feels like a sort of time for him to sort of capitalize on I think Dominal. I, I feel as though he 
maybe could use this tournament as the evidence that he is going to be at his best as a counterpuncher and not trying to knock people off the court, which is kind of what he intimated in that question I asked him at the press conference in the, in the Australian Open preview about, where he just said, I've got to take it to them. And I, I, I know what he means, but I also remember Leighton Hewitt talking like that. And and Hewitt was at his best as a counterpuncher. Bring them on to you, soak it up, make them make them frustrated that they can't knock you off the court and then pick them off. Um, and and I, I only watched highlights of the final. I watched about a 10-minute highlight film, but he, Tommy Paul was having to win rallies several times, and I just feel as though that that's what won Diminor the match in the end. For anybody that is hanging for a Berrettini brother uh, results news from Acapulco this week, Matteo only lasted one round more than Jacopo. Um, Jacopo, I think, is not very good. Matteo is potentially cursed. That is that is my assessment of the situation. Uh, Jacopo did get a. I'm I'm being mean there. He did get his first ever ATP tour level win uh, via retirement of Oscar Otter, and then and then won one game uh, in the uh, in the next round. Matteo uh, had to retire uh, in his third round match. It's or even second round match actually because he wouldn't have got a bye in the first round would he um cursed player theory for Matteo Berrettini is um the evidence is mounting i think oh yeah i mean he might have been he might have been the player who started the cursed player theory i mean the number of injuries and big matches that he's had to retire from or withdraw before the event it's it's mounting up and I actually read that um, Milos Raonic is is making making a comeback, and it made me realise that he might be a cursed player as well. And Berrettini and Raonic similar frames. I mean, mm. Raonic is he's got an even bigger frame, I would say, than Berrettini. But maybe there's something in that in terms, of, you know, because Raonic always injured as well. And I don't know. I th- I, th- I can. I can definitely see maybe a little pattern there. Um, a Milos Raonic comeback. Okay, that's something. Something I was unprepared for. Sorry to spring that, that on you. What, what a <laughs> bombshell to drop! Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. 
It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Right, I've just seen a. a, a we <laughs> we are going to talk about the quickly about the three tournaments that that haven't quite finished yet. But I've just seen a, a tweet from Stefano Sitsabas, oh, which obviously is ludicrous. Yeah, but I'm just going to read it out. Uh, he says, "Training under the blazing Dubai sun feels like being on fire, but nothing beats the satisfaction of dunking into a cold ice bath at the end of the day. It's the ultimate cool down." And the closest thing to heaven on earth. He thinks an ice bath, folks, is the closest thing to heaven on earth. <laughs> I know they live quite limited lives, tennis players, but come on. Widen, <laughs> widen your life experience. <sighs> At least okay. have a chocolate cake before you Yeah, you know, just say have that. a beer or something, Steph. Anyway... <laughs> Right. Uh, moving on to, uh, well, in actually, no, sticking with Acapulco for just a minute. Alexander Erler and Lucas Miedler of Austria won the doubles title there in Santiago. The ATP 250 event happening there. The final is Nicholas Jarry uh, playing at home, of course, against Thomas Martin Echeverry. Uh, in Monterey and Austin, we've had WTA 250 events this week. Now, the final in Monterey is Donna Vekic against Caroline Garcia. And we were referencing this earlier on because David has skin in the game. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched every ball of Donna Vekic's uh, quest for the title so far. <laughs> and it's been really fun, hasn't it? I know we have a particular interest and we've been getting... Insights from Pam Shriver, her her super coach, um, ahead of and after matches, which have really enhanced our enjoyment of watching Vekic's matches this week because we kind of we know what the strategy is going to be, you know, from Pam. It, but but even so, it's been it's been a really fun watch watching Donna Vekic find different ways to win matches this week against different types of opponent. Yeah, it's and actually, I think it's the microcosm of taking an interest in a player and actually watching all of her matches all the way through. A relatively small event in in Monterey like this, where she gets a bye first round, she plays. I think it was a bye, or she certainly played Lesia Serenka, who'd had matches coming in, and Vekic lost the first set six two. I know that Pam was concerned about her playing against a player who'd had got matches under a belt, and are you going to get the time to turn it around? Then it she goes five low up in the second set, and then Serenko retires, and and so you know that in itself is a little bit of a, a kind of saga isn't it and then and then it was straightforward next round then the the third one was an absolute epic against a player I'd, I'd, I'd barely seen a match of before and yet she's absolutely hitting the living daylights out of the ball whenever she's loved 40 down and Vekic comes through that and then beats um uh, who was it she beat last night Julin uh, Julin that was it and uh and so all very very different matches and here she finds herself in the final against Caroline Garcia the uh, the backhand drop shot, the Vekic backhand drop shot is back, Matt. Yes, Pam really uh, encouraging me to make a backhand drop shot list and for Vekic to be on it. <laughs> was, it was definitely something we noticed through the Australian Open, wasn't it? How well she was hitting that shot. And I think I think you need that with her game style. You know, you need that little bit of variety. It's, it, it's so great that, that she has it. And, and Pam also told us that Vekic's preparation had had really been suboptimal for this event because they were they were meant to have a training block in in California and it just rained the whole time. So so she went into this event, you know, really rusty and uh, she's she's shaken that off and and is in the final. She still only lost to to Zachary and Sabalenka all year. She's won won twenty of her twenty four matches since since linking up with 
with Pam in in San Diego last year. It's it's going good stats, Pam. It's going really really well and um, tough ask against Caroline Garcia, who is who is bringing her aggressive game style to every match, and it's coming off this week. Um, double the number of winners to unforced errors against Mertens in the semis. She's beaten a lot of good players this week, Garcia. And uh, yeah, it feels like two power players meeting each other in that final. And who's who's going to be able to um, to sort of gain the advantage? But actually something like the Vekic drop shot might be, uh, you know, could be a sort of difference maker, mm. I suppose. So yeah, re- really excited for that final. Yeah, we'll be watching it and we will round it up for you in our next pod from Indian Wells, as we will with the Austin final, which is Vavara Gracheva against Marta Kostiuk. That's the first WTA final for both those players. Astonishing to me that Kostiuk hadn't reached a WTA final. I was really surprised by by that stat. But then I'm also always surprised by how young she is. In my head, Mm. she's sort of mid-20s, but of course she burst on the scene so young. And um, lovely and scenes, Catherine, when she beat Daniel Collins. She was so overwhelmed to be in her first final that Daniel Collins looked as if she was sort of laughing, kind of a, a little bit emotional on her behalf, like Aww. understanding why she was feeling like that, even though obviously disappointed herself. That's uh, that's so nice. Love that. Uh, so we'll wrap up that final as well for you in a few days' time. A uh, couple of David updates for you here. Um, just while I was getting Twitter up, David, to uh, to look up that Stefano Sitsipas tweet, uh, under the For You section, which unfortunately the Twitter app consistently defaults to, I've been alerted to uh, a little bit of Nick Kyrgios trolling that you've been doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's just that he... he... He's not in Acapulco. We know he's recovering from surgery at the moment. Um, he could managing help. to make Acapulco about him, though, isn't he? Yeah, he doesn't matter help. where in the world he is. He can do that. But puts up a picture of a fairly sparsely populated Acapulco main stadium and point out that whenever he'd played there, there were always full crowds, i.e. where's says, the crowd? Where's What's the crowd? going on? I only, rem- I only remember the crowd being like soccer matches when I played there. Mm. Some of the best yeah. atmosphere I've ever played in. Yeah, And David just... was in one of those moods where he goes, I'm not having it. Well, I just, you know, I've been watching the tournament all week long and they've had, they've had absolutely full crowds. And he happened to have, from what it seems, snapped something that's, basically in the middle of the night after the Tommy Paul Taylor Fritz epic which hasn't got many people in it and I just wanted to send back a picture of a full stadium for the final and one from the day before to let him know that actually even though you're not there Nick people did still actually come what do you know the crowd just needed a little break after the trauma that was Fritz Paul and then they all came back into the stadium at the early hours for Runa. No, that doesn't mean generally astonishing the yeah. number of the the size of the crowds that they had in the middle of the night there. And it, it doesn't incredible. mean that people don't come out for Nick Kyrgios. I know Nick Kyrgios has got appeal for a lot of people, and and he brings in certain new fans and all the rest of it. I'm not saying that he doesn't, but why try to make out that if you're not there? Tennis isn't interested in it. Nobody's interested in the sport. They are, Nick. Sorry, you, you, you're a draw. You ain't that big. Uh, and more David Law news. You've got an update for us on uh, tennis matches, in particular tennis finals, having simultaneous start times. Well, yeah, it just comes off the back of last week. I said uh, I'd got in touch with the tours to ask about the Doha... ATP and the Dubai WTA finals starting at exactly the same time. The Andy Murray against Daniel Medvedev, the Igor Svantec match against Bob Rukrichikova, both starting at 3 p.m. UK time, exactly the same time. And and therefore, is it not a, a shame that tennis fans cannot watch them both if unless they double screen, which is in itself an unsatisfactory way of watching and and isn't it time maybe that the tours have a rule is what I said or and just stop that from happening and and both tours got back to me and I mean they shared 
the concern, they shared the thought that that is not what we should be aiming for. And indeed, they're not aiming for that. They do want to try to avoid that whenever possible. They pointed out, as as I would have expected, that the very many competing interests, whether it be local tournaments in their local markets, other sports in those markets that they have to factor in, uh, broadcast times, all the very many other things, and often there can be six, as many as six finals across the two tours to try to fit into a 24-hour period. Um, but that, yes, they it wasn't ideal and that they do need to try to avoid that whenever they can. One point that was made to me that was that bringing in a rule is difficult because of just how many things there are to factor in. I just think that not enough consideration was given to this instance i really don't i don't i don't think enough alarm was was made in internally about how this is really rubbish and really we've got to we've got to put a call in we've got to have a call ahead of time do you realize our finals are at the same time that's not good is it let's try to sort that out i think that they for finals like that they've they've got to do better that's what i think was it was it Turin that moved its start time last year to avoid a clash yes. with the football? With, yes, it yeah. was. Like, something can be done. Like, you know, mm. that is an example yeah. of... Yeah, if you care enough. If you care enough, yes. you can do If it's do a red something. line, then that's that. Then then all those competing interests, which I, which I don't minimise or underestimate, they, they all work around that, that red line, you know? You wouldn't start a match at 3 a.m. That's a red line. <laughs> has to be at a reasonable hour of the day. Well, you have them not starting at the same time as another red line and, and work from there with the competing interests um, is is my view. Um, and that's it, I think, for your roundup of most of the tennis that uh, has happened or will happen throughout this week. But don't worry, you won't have to wait a week for the next tennis podcast because we'll be coming to you in the next few days from It Better Be Sunny, Indian Wells. Um, luckily, Billie Jean is a, is asleep right now, so she hasn't, hasn't heard me say that. Uh, my brother is currently coming for her in a van as we speak. The The van is unrelated to Billie Jean. It, it's furniture related. Uh, but she will be travelling to my brother's place in a van. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our mascots. David's got Maisie, I've got Xenia and Matt's got Darwin. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Hello to you all. And we have our mascot for this episode, or rather two mascots for this episode. We have Ollie and Barney. They are owned by Jeff and Kate Cochran. Ollie is a Havanese who's a year and a half old and Barney is a mini schnauzer who's nine years old and they look the best of friends. Uh, They live near Seattle and wish to extend an invitation to the three of us to come up and visit the Great Northwest just down the road from where this year's Labour Cup will be. I tell you what, this picture makes the Great Northwest look blooming lovely. Dogs, water... Mountains, sun, all all the good things. Seahawks, go yeah. Yeah, I can go and watch my team. Yeah. Finally. I'll dog sit while you do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so thank you to Ollie and Barney and Jeff and Kate. You are all lovely. And finally, Matt, we have shout outs. Yes, we have Joel Berger in New Mexico. Joel says, no relation to Jay Berger. Unfortunately, I was going to ask, Joel. I was going to ask. <laughs> I have done a Champions Store event in Delray Beach with Jay Berger a couple of times. There we go. And and Joel has dog news. They have a dog named Bissell, Ooh. which means a little bit in Yiddish. Oh, why a little bit? Do we think it's a small dog? I'm going to hazard a guess mm. that it's a petite little dog. Yes. Uh, thank you, Joel. And Cheers, Joel. our second shout out also has also has dog news. Uh, Anna oh, Bigelow. People in, are getting the message in aren't California. They? Uh, Anna <laughs> says, 
Anna says, I started listening about five years ago. Apologies to Catherine, but I have gone back through the whole archive and enjoyed every foregone conclusion. I often listen to the show <laughs> while walking my Beagle Staffordshire Rottweiler mix deer, Ooh. which means light in Arabic, lamp in Hindi. Oh. Love that. Lovely, lovely mixture of dogs. And I, I, did did you did Anna did you have to do one of those gene testing things to discover what breeds uh, were in deer, or did you know the heritage before? That is my question, because a friend of mine did one of those gene testing things on their really quite small dog, and it came back uh, that he was one third Great Dane, and they were like, <laughs> "This has gone wrong." This is this is not an accurate test. Anyway, thank you, Anna. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. And our final shout out today is for Ian Katz, who is in Herndon, Virginia. And Ian says uh, that he would like to dedicate his shout out to his father, Warren Katz, who passed away in November of 2021. Uh, Ian says he and my mother introduced me to tennis 50 years ago. Tennis was always a strong bond between me and my father. We watched tennis on TV together going back to the early 70s. Uh, Ian's vague first memory of tennis is watching the 1972 World Championship tennis final between Ken Rosewall and Rod Laver. Um, Ian says we played each other dozens, probably hundreds of times. My father had a mean cross-court forehand and a sadistic slice serve that would land short in the deuce court and sometimes hit the side fence. He played well into his 80s until he couldn't anymore. Ian, that is absolutely lovely. Consider this whole episode dedicated to your dad, Warren, who sounds like a wonderful man. So thank you. Thank you for uh, for using your shout out to do that. That was really lovely and a wonderful way to end the episode. We will be back in a few days time from Indian Wells where I'm manifesting sunshine. This time tomorrow, Matt, will be on the plane. David will be somewhere hovering over Frankfurt, uh, pr- praying that his golf clubs have have made it onto the plane uh, and we can't wait folks we will be coming to you from Indian Wells over the course of the next two weeks then Matt and I will be headed off to Vegas uh, content will be coming at you from all angles you won't be able to escape it uh, that sounded more like a threat than I intended so let's get this show off the road thanks for listening and we'll speak to you soon 